mentioned something this morning about when you study the word, even if you're preparing it for a class or a congregation, you end up really receiving the blessing and the challenge in your life, not only to worship the Lord, but also to live the very things that you're studying. Such is the case with prayer. We've been talking about prayer both last week and this week. It was associated, and I think still is in this passage, associated with spiritual warfare, but we'll explain that in a moment. I couldn't help but decide to quote this one. I was looking at Charles Spurgeon and some of his quotes on prayer, and they're all good, but I couldn't really help but write this one down. Prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so less often. Others give but an occasional pluck at the rope. But he who wins with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. Now, the two verses that we've been talking about today, or will be talking about today, and the verse from last week, is Paul's encouragement to the church to pray. Now, there are specifics about it, but it, it is an encouragement to pray, and it's a devotion to prayer. We go to the book of Colossians, which is the companion book, and at the very end, it's very similar. In fact, as was read this morning, verses 3 and 4, I'm just going to go back and read verse verse, uh, 4, verse 2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. And that is that word we talked about last week, um, kartoreo, which means continually. You must continually devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Well, in Ephesians, it's very similar. The wording is very similar. In fact, we'll jump back and forth this morning, I think, to help us understand exactly what Paul is saying. But we come now to verses 19 where he's still talking about prayer, but he's asking for prayer for himself. And what's interesting about this is that the things that he asks about, you can somewhat understand why he's praying, but then things like he's going to pray for the words to say. He's going to pray for the boldness to say it. We don't generally think of Paul in those terms, but obviously we should. He's human just as we are. And we have difficulty in sharing the gospel. But Paul's prayer, though it was for himself and to be bolstered up, is not about his life's comforts, but is about an open door for the gospel. And we too should pray about that. Let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And Paul says, And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Father, we just thank you for your word I thank you also, Father, even using the author's situations. And Father, here, prayer life, and even might we say emotions. Father, we we need all of these things. We need a desire to evangelize. We need a desire to, to pray for open doors, see open doors. Then we need, Father, to pray for the words that we should say, the correct words, including and especially the clarity and accuracy of the gospel. Father, also, too, we need to pray for boldness. For many times, it's just our little bit of fear, or much fear, that keeps us from sharing the most wonderful good news in the history of mankind. 
So, Father, would you teach us this evening through Paul's prayer and through prayer, uh, Paul's example, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to work our way through some of these things, but a little bit of introduction to Paul and his prayer life. Um, you've heard that there's even in him that goes something about Peter preaching, the preaching of Peter, but the prayer of Paul. Paul was a man of prayer himself, and he was especially known for his deep spiritual prayer. Um, Charles Spurgeon, in one of his quotes, said, it's not the man who prays the longest, but the man who prays the deepest. And that was the Apostle Paul. And in, in the book of Ephesians, in the very beginning, Paul said, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. He was continually praying for them. And even in the book of Ephesians, he prayed for them, and we have one of his prayers recorded. And I'll ask you to turn to that because it's so dynamic. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. This is a little different than a normal prayer. God, please be with them. This is how Paul prayed for the Ephesians. Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so we see this great prayer life of Paul here at the end of Ephesians and also Colossians. He's talking about a devotion to prayer. But here he prays for a request for himself. This is what he's praying, but he's specifically praying for the ministry, for the sharing of the gospel. And so as I take a look at these verses, 19 and 20, with a little bit of Colossians 3, uh, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 thrown in there, this is what we're going to talk about this morning. First of all, prayer on Paul's behalf. Secondly, Prayer for opportunity. Prayer for an open door. It's one of the things that he prays for in Colossians. And then prayer for the words. The words that should be spoken when we have the opportunity or in our ministries. He talks about prayer for clarity or the explanation of the mystery of the gospel. But it is indeed prayer for the clarity of the gospel. Oh Lord, help us deliver simple but accurate gospel presentations. I believe there also we could say that there is prayer in regard to persecution. And finally, there is prayer for boldness. If you take this recipe with you and you pray for these things both for yourself and for others, there will be great things done under heaven, from heaven. All right, so... Continuing on with Paul's prayer on his own behalf, one writes this. Paul does not ask for prayer for his personal well-being or physical comfort in the imprisonment from which he wrote, but for the boldness and faithfulness to continue proclaiming the gospel to the unsaved no matter what the cost. So even though it is a prayer request for Paul, it's ministry-related. It's God-centered related. And anything that even might cause him to not fulfill it completely, even that is for the glory of the Lord. Now, I want to bring up another introductory or reviewing question, and that is, 
are we still talking about spiritual warfare? Or has that ended with the last verse, verse 17, of the armor of God? Well, last week, we said that verse 18 was really a part of spiritual warfare. It's not a piece of the armor, but it maintains the armor. It it cultivates the armor in our life, and that was, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So we concluded that that was still in the context of spiritual warfare. But what about this? Well, I believe the answer is yes. I believe that Paul is thinking of his ministry, of thinking of opportunity, of thinking from the boldness that might keep him from fulfilling all of these things. And he asks them, since they're praying for all the saints, even to pray for Paul, who at one point in the epistle said that he is least of all the saints. One writes this, when Satan tempted Paul to keep quiet about Christ, although we don't really know of such a thing, but we would assume he's human just as we are. In fact, even though he's an apostle, he still has the sinful nature. He does still sin. He does have to confess that sin. It's only when he writes scripture or preaches under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's infallible. But that doesn't mean that everything in his life is perfect or fallible. Uh, infallible. We, we, we read then, when Satan tempted Paul to k- keep quiet about Christ, he wanted God's help to be bold and faithful to proclaim the gospel. He wanted help in his own battle against Satan. And he pleaded with his brothers and sisters at Ephesus to pray toward that end. And again, if we have been instructed by Paul that all believers are attacked by Satan and his minions, and that's why we need the armor of God, and Paul is one of the saints, well then, obviously, he goes through that attack. In fact, you could do a study. We, we could have just taken a, a sidetrack and looked at all of the times that Satan interfered and is spoken of in the New Testament. So I do believe that this is still in the vein of spiritual warfare, but particularly for Paul. But this is also a beautiful segue to end and move toward the end of this epistle, speaking about prayer, both in spiritual warfare and Paul's ministry. Well, I'd like to begin now and talk about one of the aspects of his prayers, and that is the prayer for opportunity. Or an open door. Now in Ephesians verse 19, you don't see him pray for an open door. You do see him pray for the opening of his mouth, which we'll cover in a moment. But if you would turn to Colossians chapter 4, and as I said, Colossians and Ephesians are companion books, and you often look at one to help you understand the other, and we see many of the same themes, but he begins with praying at the same time for us, okay, as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word. And so he's praying for an opportunity. That's what that means, ministry opportunities. Now, he's an apostle, and he has been called to preach in all of these places to share the gospel both to the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, what about us? Well, we have been called to preach as well. And I think one of the things we should pray about is opportunities. Now, I I want to just talk a little bit about this door, this open door. Um, The word door, theron in the Greek, uh, it does mean literal door. But figuratively, Paul uses it numerous times to refer to an opportunity to preach the gospel or an open door for the ministry. And I'd I'd like to just kind of look at a few other verses 
you don't have to turn here, but in 2 Corinthians 2.12, that's exactly what Paul said. He said, now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ and when a door was opened for me, and then he goes on to speak, but it means an open door for the ministry. If you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 8 through 9. Another very interesting verse here, which will talk about the open door. 1. So in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 through 9, he says, But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? For a wide door for effective service has opened to me. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about the time that he spent with the Ephesians. And he spent quite a long time with the Ephesians. And then he writes this letter. And this is one of the more mature letters. It's not a letter to the Corinthians who will have to be chastised and reproved all the time and maintained all the time. Ephesus and the believers at Ephesus were mature. And a wide door for effective service has opened. But I just want you to to notice the last phrase, and there are many adversaries. So while we may pray for open doors, and while doors may open, whenever those doors are open, Satan opens doors for adversaries, those who are against the gospel, those who are against Christ, um, and therefore those who are against us in this idea of ministry. But Paul He said, a wide door, wide open door for me, a ministry. And now he's praying in Colossians for an open door for ministry wherever he goes. Also, too, in Acts chapter 14, you don't have to turn there, but on their missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas came back to the church and they relayed to the church that God had opened a door in their ministry. Acts chapter 14, 27 says, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Well, you know what? I'm really thankful that there was an open door to the Gentiles because here we sit as a prime example of the fruit of all of that. But I just want to make a few applications here. So if that's what Paul prayed for, we certainly need to pray for that as well. And so, as you think, in your prayer time, daily pray for open doors and opportunities to share the gospel. And I I, I think sometimes you have individuals who you're talking with and they they open the door for you. You know, uh, sometimes it's so obvious that if we don't respond I would say that we are deaf or not paying attention. But I will say this too. Why would we pray for opportunity if we have no desire to preach the gospel? I'm, maybe I'm saying I'm a Christian, but I don't really like to, I don't like to share the gospel, so I'm not really going to pray for uh, an opportunity. That, that would be wrong. So our heart has to be in it as well. Lord, I, I want opportunity, and it should be, Lord, I'm going to talk to somebody today about you, so you might as well point me to the right person so that it's an open door of opportunity. And I also think, too, that we need to pray to have the wisdom to see God's open doors or even crack those doors open a little bit. We need to have that as well. And we'll see a little bit later how Paul has certainly done that. But if the Apostle Paul... If he's praying for opportunity, we need to as well. And I think what we're also thinking is for the Lord to open the door, for the heart to be ready. Of course, God prepares the heart. And also, too, to remove Satan's influence on unbelievers. And also praying that let it not be just our decision, but you guide us. Guide us to the right person at the right time. And I will say one thing when we're thinking about this. I remember years ago a brother saying that before he was a believer, he was hoping that someone would share Christ with him. He said he was at times around believers, 
and he so desperately wanted those believers to share the gospel. Now, one would say, well, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you just ask them? Well, he could have. But it does seem to me that the responsibility is on the believer, right? Because most people don't even want to hear the gospel. And that's what it seemed like everybody assumed. And after he became a believer, that was one of the things that he shared with us, and I never forgot that. So there are people out there who are wanting to hear it, but they're too timid to ask, which you can't blame them, although it is for an eternal matter. We, on the other hand, should be asking the Lord for opportunities and open doors and to go through it. Secondly, Paul Ask for prayer for the word. So let's now go back to Ephesians. We're back in Ephesians again. Not only was there prayer for opportunity in one of his prayers in Colossians, but he continues this with prayer for the words. Now, let me read it. He says, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. And the word utterance might give us a little trouble as to what, what is meant here. What, what do you mean? And what it doesn't mean is speaking in tongues. That's one of the things that it doesn't mean. This is not the context. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean utterance. But it means the utterance in opening the mouth, the words that come out of the mouth. And he's going he's gonna to describe it as so that I can share the mystery of the gospel. So we're not talking about any kind of emotional type of thing here. The word utterance is the Greek word logos, which typically means word. Keruxon tan lagon, preach the word. Preaching the living logos through the written logos. Maybe you've seen that expression and motto. Anyway, what would it means, and it can take various meanings, but it also has the meaning of, it's a general term for speaking, but always with rational content, something to say, a message, or speech. And an example of that is in Matthew 22, where it says, no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. So it can be dialogue. And this is what Paul is asking for, the words. I want to know the, the, have the right words to minister. Now, notice, if you will, here, there's something else. I'm going to get to the point, but there's so many good things here. He said, that utterance may be given to me. He's looking to God for the words. He's, the prayer is, Lord, give me the right words. He's not trusting in himself. He's an apostle. What a great apostle. What a deep spiritual man, both in prayer and in theology. We love Paul because of his theology. We also love Paul because he's so practical, so utterly practical, too practical, if you would would say that with tongue in cheek. Well, he's asking for God then to give him the words. Now, there is a little discussion on what what actually is meant by that. Well, some people see this, some good people, good scholars and good commentators, see this as, okay, this word can be used for making your argument in the court of law. And that fits Paul's context here. So Lenski believes this and a few others. You know, Paul was in chains until he would have an upcoming trial with Caesar. You remember all that as we talked about that. He is under house arrest, which means that he's in a house and has a little bit of freedom. The the guard doesn't have any freedom. He's chained to Paul, not Paul to him. He's chained to Paul. And, And we also see that he's waiting for trial because when he was having this debate with the Jews, they wanted... They wanted to persecute him, but he appealed to Caesar. So now he's going before Caesar. This, by the way, is where he writes the four prison epistles 
upon one of them is the book of Ephesians. It's Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. Ephesians is one of the principal uh, uh, letters that he writes from prison or in chains. It could be that. It could be a judicial offense, uh, defense that he's asking for. I mean, he talks about he's in prayer uh, for these things, and he talks about that he's also uh, been now into this house arrest, and he is uh, in, indeed um, coming up to this trial. So it could be that, or it could even apply to that. But many, many commentators, and I think this is right, pull it back a little bit to just say, no, he's just asking for ready speech, for the right speech, for the skill of speaking the gospel, or the right words at the right time. And if you've shared the gospel with individuals, you've probably seen that. At times, you've probably laid down what you think is the best argument for Christianity, and it just went right over their heads. Well, that's because it's not dependent on you. But there have been other times when you've hardly said anything, and the person is practically begging you to share the gospel. I've had, I've had several... Uh, situations like that in my life that the Lord had worked in their heart so much that when they saw me, Daryl, tell me how to get to heaven. Well, we, we, we think of the right words. And by the way, Colossians also says a very similar thing. Uh, in Colossians, it says that I may make it clear the way I ought to speak, talking about the gospel. One of the translations says that I may be given the right words when I begin to speak. And I really think this is, this is it. Now, again, I said as an apostle, when he's preaching, it's infallible. But when he's perhaps talking one-on-one or with a crowd about the gospel, I think it's right. But I think he's asking for prayer for the right words to speak. In the very back of the book of Acts, the very last chapter, 28, chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, this is how it ends. This is why Paul is asking for the right words. It says, and he stayed, this is where he was chained under house arrest. I believe it was Rome. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. So this is why Paul was asking for it. Um, When it comes to being under the direction of the Holy Spirit with inspiration, which I have no idea what that is about personally, because there are no more apostles or prophets today, but we have their writings. God overtakes them. God uh, moves them to say what they ought to say or write what they ought to to write so that what we have in our hands is God's word. But that doesn't mean that every time he speaks, it's, it's under inspiration. And here he's asking for the right words as people are coming to him. And these poor, poor soldiers who are chained to him have to hear the gospel week after week. And we would, we would, of hope that some have come to Christ. Well, what about us? Well, I think it's good for us to pray for the right words. And, I, you know, the, I, in one, one hand, I, I think this is something that some of us need to think about. Now, we know that there is the spiritual gifts that are given. One of them is the gift of evangelism. Now, if we don't have the gift of evangelism, why do we have to evangelize? Well, that's because we've been ordered to evangelize. And then our next question is, well, how do we evangelize? Good question. Just look at some of the saints with the gift of evangelism. I remember years ago, uh, somebody was looking through our track area where we have tracks, gospel tracks. We have some back there. Avail yourselves to those. Looking through the tracks, and now when, when I grabbed tracks, and we would hand out tracks, 
I would just, a bunch of these, a bunch of these, a bunch of these, stick them in my pocket, and then hand them out. This individual was going, ooh, this track would be good for this individual. This track would be good for that individual. I never thought about it that way. But this individual had the gift of evangelism, and that's one of the ways in which it's worked out. And when we who are told to evangelize perhaps don't have the gift of evangelism, but the command of evangelism, we look to them and say, oh, it does matter what you say and to whom. So this is why we need to pray for the right words. And ask God to give them to us. Bring things to remembrance uh, that we're able to share the right thing to the right person. But remember this, it's not dependent on our human words. It's dependent on a sovereign God who works in the hearts of sinners. Prime example, us. God has worked in the heart of sinners. We've heard the gospel and received Christ. I trust that's the case. Now, the right words could also entail um, an appropriate segue or springboard into the gospel. Uh, So, in other words, when we see someone, we don't have to just walk up to them and just say, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? I actually had a woman do that to me one time in the, in the grocery store. And um, uh, I, I think her approach was a little offensive to unbelievers. And uh, she had made a comment about that, uh, uh, asked me certain things. She said, did you share Christ with anyone? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she said, yes, today I preached and I shared the gospel. Well, she had said, well, she was just out evangelizing and didn't go to church. And I thought, you know what? We need to keep all things in balance, do we not? But anyway, it doesn't matter. It does matter what we say and the segues. But but what about segues? Well, Paul was the best at it. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Like when the lady at the well, and he talked about, give me a drink, and then I could give you a drink that you would never thirst again of, of eternal life. That was a segue. How about the Apostle Paul when he was passing through the area and he noticed this altar of many false gods and the inscription read to the unknown God. Now, what would, what would, what would we do? Well, perhaps we'd have just got really upset about that. We'd have went and told them off. And good luck with that sharing the gospel. But Paul said, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Do you want to know the unknown God? In other words, they knew all these false gods, but do you want to know the God who's unknown to you, the one true God? Let me tell you. A beautiful segue. Another segue was when the apostle Paul was in Philippi in jail and the Doors of the prison, literal doors of the prison opened up. And the jailer exclaimed, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, I really don't believe he was talking about salvation. If these prisoners were to run away, he would be dead by those authorities who placed him in that position. And I think he's saying, what must I do to be saved to keep everybody together in all of this? Paul said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what he said to him. So Paul used those segues, the right words, to share the gospel. There can be other things too. Uh, I remember hearing years ago, in fact, I, I, I knew them or, or they were an acquaintance. They were musicians and they, they were believers and they loved the Lord and they played uh, Christian music. They performed it and they had a really good uh, pianist who was there. And he said, well, he, he recently came to Christ. I said, oh, really? That's cool. He said, you know, when you're, when you're sharing evangelism with people, sometimes give them the picture of what would their life be if it was without blank, such and such. And this believer said to him, to this pianist, what would happen if something happened that you had your hands cut off or a hand cut off? And he said, This bothered the guy so much that he began thinking not about music, but about eternal life. And he shared the gospel with him and he came to Christ, meaning that there's more to life than just our hobbies or even professions. So anyway, this is what we are to pray about as well, especially if Paul did that. 
Well, I want to move to the next one. Prayer for clarity of the gospel. Or let me say it, probably more true to what it is in the outline. Prayer for explanation of the mystery of the gospel. And isn't that just like Paul? He's not going to just say, well, pray for me that I share the gospel. He's going to give some theological meaning to it. So let's take a look at clarity, and let's also take a look at the mystery of the gospel. So he says that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, and that means his speaking, of course, to, for the purpose that to make known, and then he's going to say with boldness. We're going to talk about boldness, but it's going to be my last point because he's going to say it again. To make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Well, first of all, before we even get to this, I think we're talking about clarity, the clarity of the gospel. You know, we, we, we just have to be careful. I, I remember years ago running into, in Gillette, Wyoming, of all places, and I'm not going to name any names, but a particular famous Christian performer, musician. And I was excited to meet this individual, um, but realizing we're all men, uh, he, we got to talking about spiritual things, and he said, you know, I used to really go into great detail and, and talk about theology when I would perform and give the gospel. And, and I wasn't quite sure what he meant. I mean, maybe if he's thinking, if he, you know, was talking about the kenosis theory um, or, or, uh, or, or all of the different verbs in Greek, yeah, maybe I would agree with him, but I, I didn't know exactly what he meant. And he said, now I just tell him that Jesus loves you and if you have a need, come on up. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's probably helpful, but that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And I would be very careful to give that kind of a presentation to someone. And then they go, oh, he loves me. And he met my need. Um, you know, he met my need. I needed a little bit of financial help and something was gone. I must be saved. Well, what a mistake that would be. What a mistake that would be. So we have to have clarity of the gospel, of what it is. It is a simple gospel. God is holy. We are sinners. We cannot have a relationship with God as long as that sin is there. Christ came, took our sin and our punishment, died for those. If we place our faith in him alone and his work, we trust in him as our savior then immediately we are forgiven and given eternal life. That is the simple part of it. So we have to have clarity of it. Now, I do understand that there will be times when people will have issues. Most of the time, the issues are just smoke screens because they don't want to get down to the nitty-gritty, and so they have a question about this and a question about that. You know, one of the ones that they'll bring up is about all of the uh, contradictions in the Bible. One of the best responses is to say, which one are you talking about? Which one do you think is it? Oh, I don't know. I've just heard people say that. Well, that's terrible. But I mean, I think we ought to be able to answer these issues. But like Charles Spurgeon said, he he answers the issues and then he makes a beeline for the cross. Clarity of the simple gospel message. But if it's so simple, then why is it called a mystery? Mystery of the gospel. Well, We've talked about this in the book of Ephesians. In fact, this word mystery is kind of a theological word in, in the scriptures, mysterion, other places outside of the New Testament. It, it, it means various emotional things. It doesn't mean that at all here. In the New Testament, what this word means, it's God's truths and programs that were previously hidden, but now God has revealed them. That's what a mystery was, something that God hid, but now he has made known. And by the way, isn't it great to not be in the dispensation of mystery, but in the dispensation of revelation where all of these mysteries have been revealed? 
Well, there were five of them in the book of Ephesians, which we went over them in detail, so I won't do that today. But the mystery of his will, of his will Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. The mystery of Christ, remember that one, we'll come back to it. The mystery of the church, Ephesians chapter 3, Jew and Gentile make up one body in Christ. Then we have in Ephesians 5, the mystery of the bride of Christ. And here we have the mystery of the gospel, which in, in basic terms means the gospel. I just want to make one point, and that is if, if you're trying to solve the mystery of understanding what all the mysteries are, I think the phrase, the mystery of Christ, is the one that engulfs all of them. It is that which has been hidden about the Lord Jesus Christ that all things are found in him because of his work on the cross. Now, there have been things that have been revealed about his death and resurrection, to be sure, but the full unfolding of it didn't happen until Christ came, because that's what it says in Hebrews, that in prior times he spoke in various ways, but now in these days he speaks through his Son, the full revelation of God. So the mystery of Christ would really enfold it all. Well, what do we mean, or what does Paul mean by the mystery of the gospel? Again, don't get worried. I believe it's just the gospel, but it's the revelation of God concerning man's salvation in the gospel through the substitutionary death and resurrection of Christ, including the salvation of both Jews and Gentiles. There, there's a mouthful. Probably you don't need to share that when you're sharing the gospel. But, but we're speaking to believers here. And, and church is always meant to edify, lift up spiritually, lift up in your knowledge. And so these things are important. What if someone were to say, well, I want to know, why does the Bible have mysteries? If you tell me that, then I'll come to Christ. Well, you now know the answer to that. So in a nutshell, it is in simple terms, the gospel. But it's the gospel with clarity. And that's what he's asking for, for the opening of my mouth. Words that are the right words for the opening of my mouth so that I can proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I can reveal to them the mystery of the gospel. Now, just in talking about the clarity of the gospel, one of the things that Paul dealt with that we see in the New Testament is he would share the same gospel. There is only one gospel. But the knowledge of some people is different. And when he would come to the Jews, they had a knowledge of God. They believed in God. They were one of the few that believed that in monotheism, God alone, Christianity is also one of those. But they had many of the basics down and they were looking for the Messiah. And so when Paul talked to them, he would use different springboards, okay? Jewish springboards, if you will. They, they had certain knowledge and then he would take their knowledge and point it towards the cross. When it came to the Gentiles, they basically knew nothing except false religion. And so Paul would explain it all to the Gentiles. But Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, even though he went to the Jews first. Well, this idea of clarity depends on who you're talking to, a child. And I want to thank those who get involved in the children's ministry here because you have the great privilege of sharing the gospel simply in a simple, clar clarified way to these children. And we see many come to Christ in Sunday school. In fact, if you talk to a lot of people, uh, believers, and they'll say something like, well, yes, I received Christ when I was young, when I was a child, either Sunday school or five-day clubs or VBS. Those are great ministries. Well, but what about if you're speaking to an agnostic, which is someone without the boldness to say that he's an atheist? But what if you're talking to someone and, they, and they've spent a lifetime of looking at pseudo-arguments against Christianity? That is where you have to be able to handle yourself. And so that will change the addition to the clarity of the gospel, but it will still be the same simple gospel. Well, when we 
pray. We're praying for the open doors, right? We're praying for the right words, right? Well, we also need to pray for clarity to whom it is that we're talking to. And we need to pray that it's the accurate gospel. Don't add works to it. Don't dumb it down, water it down. It is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins because we're sinners. God is holy and we're not making it to heaven on our own. Only through the work of Christ. Make sure it's clear. Make sure it's accurate. And then if they do have questions, make sure that we're able to give clear biblical answers. Don't give opinions. Give clear biblical answers to their questions. And so we see the clarity of the gospel there. Well, in addition to opportunities and words and clarity of the gospel, let's talk a moment for prayer in regard to persecution. Now, Paul doesn't specifically have this in his prayer, except he does mention it. Look, if you will, at verse 20. After he asks clarity, make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Now, I suppose on the one hand, they already knew that because he's already said it uh, about three other times in the book. He didn't need to mention it. But I think it's in the context of spiritual warfare and in the context of prayer requests for himself. It doesn't come out that plainly, but that's fine. That's fine. He does mention his imprisonment in Colossians 4, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. He calls the gospel there the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned. I I, I think it goes without saying that there would be a desire for him to ask for prayer there in, in his imprisonment. And I think perhaps this is where Lenski gets the idea, okay, those words that he's talking about that God would give him are the ones when he stands before Caesar and he gives his arguments for his innocence so that he could be released and could continue on in his ministry. That could be one reason why this is mentioned here. It could be because of the difficulty, except we find out that a lot of saints come and minister to Paul while while he's in prison. There were no types of prisons like we have today. You you know, if if you died in their prison because you didn't have enough to eat, that's one less prisoner they have to worry about. That's one new room we get to put another prisoner in. You couldn't get an education or anything in there, but Paul had believers that were so loyal that even though under suspicion of the guards, they were helping him, they were feeding him, they were ministering to him. And, And we see that so much there with the Apostle Paul. But the idea is, There certainly would be a a place for prayer, but it would not be prayer, Lord, get me out of here. One of the things that is so interesting is when we read the magazine Voice of the Martyrs and we see their prayer requests, it's not about get me out of here. You know what it's for? An open door to preach the gospel to the people that they are around. God has the same purpose wherever you are, in prison, out of prison. And that purpose is to share the gospel with unbelievers and to encourage believers with the scriptures. That is what's going to happen, and that's what's going on. No matter what happens of any history or historical event or future historical event, even if it goes deep south, even if the United States goes deep south, even if we're going to experience persecution like Other countries have been experiencing it, like Paul experienced. It doesn't matter. The task is still the same. God is concerned about the gospel. And we see that with the Apostle Paul. We see that with many of these other martyrs for Christ. And by the way, 
That stands to reason because they wouldn't be in prison in the first place if they weren't vocal. They wouldn't be in prison in the first place if they weren't living out their Christian life in full view of everyone. If they were secret Christians, didn't share the gospel, they're out of prison. But they're in prison because they love the Lord, they're living for the Lord, they're sharing the gospel. That's why they're in prison. No matter, we'll just keep, keep the same routine right in here. And so that is the idea of it. And by the way, uh, might I remind us that just like the Apostle Paul, who was an apostle and persecution, he was told right from the beginning of his ministry that he would be persecuted. He knew it. It's his calling. But he also, as the apostle of the Gentiles, tells us this. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's our calling as well. And it's a matter of getting the right perspective. So I think this is what it means to have prayer in regard to persecution. I made the title, so I... That's exactly what it means. (laughs) It's exactly what I mean by it. Now, I want to say this. I don't think it's wrong to pray that we don't receive persecution or that the persecution become limited. And, of course, we're talking about a low degree here. You know, people maybe not appreciating you at work or your neighborhood because all you do is talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad you do, and that's why I like to hang out with you. But we're talking about that. So, I mean, you, we would talk about and pray about, Lord, uh, could that less, lessen a little bit? And, Father, we pray that they would come to Christ. So it's okay to do that. But I think we also need to pray that, Lord, when persecution comes, no matter how hard or how difficult, we will remain faithful to the Lord and to the Lord's calling to preach the gospel. I think we should pray foremost that we have opportunity to preach the gospel in spite of persecution and even in and through persecution. We know of guards in various martyrs' accounts of where they proclaim the gospel to the guards and sometimes some of them have even gotten saved. Finally, we come to prayer for boldness and It's a little hard for me to wrap my mind around this for my hero, Paul. But it's true, and it stands to reason, that there would be times when he would have human emotion. Nobody likes to feel pain. Nobody likes to uh, be ostracized. And And he felt all of that. However, I still think Paul was so spiritual that a lot of it was Boldness so that I keep going. Boldness so that I keep preaching. And the word for boldness, I think it's a good word, but what it really means is freedom. Freedom of fear or freedom of speech. Not talking about the political idea of freedom of speech. It means I have freedom to speak because I have no fear of being persecuted. Well, you could say that, but some people are going to misunderstand that. So I think boldness is a good word, and it's just the same thing. It's a freedom, a boldness or a freedom from fear of what people think or persecution when we tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. It could have been the Apostle Paul had a fear that if I don't say the right words to Caesar, if God doesn't intervene... This could be the end. And then it's the end of the ministry, his ministry goals of the many people that he wanted to go and the churches that he wanted to encourage. So, you know, one has has espoused that. But he did share the same human emotions that we do. And and in a way, that's an encouragement. You know, if, if, if Paul, maybe once in a while, battled with needing boldness, What about us who have such trepidation at times in sharing the gospel with even family members? 
or no wait, that would probably be more than sharing it with an, a stranger. We, we do seem to have more trepidation with family members because we have a long history with them and hopefully we'll continue to have a history with them. And so uh, it's an encouragement. It's an encouragement that there is a remedy. There's a remedy for this. So if we're here this morning and we're saying, well, you're talking about the gospel, the open door, the right... My problem is fear. My problem is boldness. Well, I'd like to just mention a few things and how we know from the words of Paul of his perspective of how he got over his boldness or his uh, timidity. First of all, the first one was that he would know, he knew, and he speaks about it in Scripture, that he was an apostle and that he was called to that. He was called to suffering. In fact, that was told when he first came to the Lord after seeing the Lord on the road to Damascus. Later on in his ministry, he says, the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me that in every city, saying the bonds and afflictions await me. He even had a prophet who came up to him, took his belt off and and bound him and said, this is what awaits you. So he knew it. So I guess in a way, if we know about it, it might, it might help us and embolden us. Secondly, his, his suffering was for Christ and the church. So it's not just suffering for Grace Bible Church or suffering for me. It's suffering for Christ. You know, we really have the attitude, at least in our words, you know, I'll suffer anything for Christ. At least I hope that's our sentiment. And I hope that the time ever comes that that'll be our action. And for the church, the building up of the church. In Colossians, he says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, that you're growing. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So he wanted to have the equal amount Reminds me of the the Apostle Peter, who when he was about to be crucified said, crucify me upside down, according to tradition. Crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. And here's Paul wanting to fill up all of those afflictions. Another thing too, Paul wrote that when he suffered, it, it, it makes other believers bold. It emboldens other believers. In the book of Philippians, which is, from prison. The theme is rejoice from prison. This is what he says. And that most of the brethren trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. There it is. That's the boldness. That's the freedom. They see me, they can do it too. And they're encouraged. At times he also encouraged the church telling them not only of his trials, but of the deliverance of the Lord. You know, Paul was delivered every time. Now, 99.9% of the the time, he was released. The last percent, he was not. But he was delivered from this life and the sinful nature by being beheaded and being taken into the presence of the Lord. So he was delivered every time. But the point I'm trying to make is that he would tell them of the Lord's deliverance, even though there was persecution. If you read the magazine Voice of the Martyrs, it will talk about, yes, uh, the, the horrible persecution that they're under. And yet you will hear series of uh, great deliverances. By the way, um, we had talked about um, the missionary in India that uh, my son's church supports. And I don't know if I told you or not, but um, not only do they make noise when they're trying to have church service, not, not only do they treat them as the lowest status, Christian as the lowest status, but recently he was beat up. He was beat up pretty bad for his faith in Christ. So what if you don't want to get water from the water cooler at the same time as me because I'm a Christian? So what? This guy's getting beat up for his faith. That's what persecution is. And then finally... He knows that he can ask the saints for prayer because he's doing it right now. 
And that would lead us to our applications. First of all, we too, we're not apostles, so we're not on the same status. We're ambassadors, not an ambassador with a capital A as an apostle, but with a small a. We're small ambassadors. We still have the same job of of preaching the gospel. Number one, we need to realize we have been called to preach. Okay, so it's not an option. Doesn't matter what your personality is like. And God can use that personality. You know, maybe there's some people who would hear the gospel, would rather hear the gospel from a very timid person rather than a boisterous, slappy on the back kind of guy. Well, we, we, we've been called to, to evangelize. Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We too, secondly, have been called to suffer Uh, One would wonder why we don't see more persecution, and it's there. It's mostly under the radar, becoming out of the radar more and more. But I think God has blessed this country. I don't know what's happening now, but we're seeing those things come to the forefront. But we've been called. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul was kind enough to let us know, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, Persecution could be a part of our prayer. And how do you know that your boldness, in spite of whatever you're going through, will not encourage someone here at this church to go forward for the Lord? You know, I love fellowship here. I love to hear uh, your input on the word. I love to hear, um, you know, all of these things. Because many times it's like, I hadn't thought of it from that angle. Or I'll see someone's demonstration and devotion to the Lord and it'll be like, wow, um, you know, maybe I need to kick it up a notch, that kind of thing. And so we need to realize that there is encouragement of believers through one person going through persecution. And then also realize at the end of the day, perhaps this is the biggest take home, realize that we can ask God for boldness. We may ask for opportunity. We may ask for the words. We may ask for clarity and fully assured that he's going to give us each one of those. But then to ask him for boldness means what? Well, now we got to actually go out and do it. we got to be bold. What it is is freedom of fear. Really, there's not a whole lot to fear right now. Now, there are consequences in our day and age, but, but we're not getting beat, beaten up every day or every opportunity like they are there in India and other places around the world. And I'm sure it happens here, but it's so under the radar. There it's very bold. I'm sure everybody knew about that. We beat them up. Ha, ha, ha. We're all Buddhists. We'll teach that, that Christian a lesson. And guess what? He's still there. And he's still preaching behind that pulpit. That emboldens me. That is what it's about. We can pray for his boldness, and we can pray for our boldness as well. So just kind of bringing it all together, if the Apostle Paul can ask for prayer for an open door for ministry to share the gospel, if he can ask for prayer for the words to say, and and how many times do we think, oh my word, I, I, I should have said this, or should have said that, or I don't know what to say. I mean, sometimes I hear that with people with prayer. They say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, Pray from your heart. Pray with scripture in mind and theology in mind and the truth in mind and for the needs of people. And now you know. Here's another one. Pray for boldness. Pray for opportunity. Pray for the words and pray for boldness. Now you know. And there's three things you could pray about. And if that's all you ever pray, every time you pray, I will thank you. Thank you for reminding me. So if the Apostle Paul asks for prayer for an open door, for the words to say, and the boldness to say it. And we definitely should pray for these things. Let me close with an illustration from Charles Spurgeon about the power of prayer, the power of prayer for others, the power of prayer for boldness, the power of prayer for the preaching of the word, which is what we do when we share the gospel. A group of young ministers called on Mr. Spurgeon one day They were there visiting, and they wanted to see the church. It was a large church 
um, could hold up to 5,000 to 10,000 people. I'd, I'd call that the first megachurch, but I would call that the first theologically correct megachurch. A group of young ministers called on him one day to see the large preaching place. And after showing them his massive area and the sanctuary, Mr. Spurgeon offered to show them his boiler room. They really didn't want to see the boiler room, but Charles Spurgeon insisted. So he led them to the basement, and there in the basement, in the boiler room, was found about 100 people in prayer, praying for Charles Spurgeon and his upcoming sermon. He said, this is my boiler room. This is where things heat up. He didn't say that last part, but that that just seems like a good thing to say. (laughs) And whenever Spurgeon was asked the secret of his ministry, he always replied, it's my people praying for me in the boiler room. Now, one, yes, pray for me. Pray for the ministry and all of the ministries here. But I think this is the idea that, you know, we're to pray for the opportunity, we're to pray for the words, we're to pray for boldness for ourselves, but we also are to pray for one another. It's our responsibility to pray that for everyone else. We may know whether they have a problem with it or not, but that's what we're supposed to pray. And so we do. And on this day then before Memorial Day, we have Christ as our ultimate example of giving his life for our freedom. Freedom from the condemnation of sin and freedom of fear when we share the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is a double-edged sword. It always pierces, Lord. It always moves us. And especially, Lord, in these last two weeks, moving us in the area of prayer. Lord, I do pray that you give us all opportunities for the gospel. I pray that you help us see it. Sometimes we're blind to it. Father, I pray that when we do speak, you give us the words to say, the right words. And Father, we pray for the people that we talk to, that you would open up their eyes. Satan has blinded them, but you're the, you're the great sight giver. Open up their eyes so that they can hear the right words at the right time and receive Christ. And Father, perhaps more than anything else, we need prayer for boldness to be able to live for Christ, and share Christ without fear. And we'll thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.